On history's doorstep, as Christian Pulisic prepares for his first Champions League final, we examine what it means and what it doesn't for all of American soccer. Meanwhile, in Mexico, all eyes on Cruz Azul in yet another final. Is this, at long last, their year? We're about to find out. Plus, Alex Morgan cannot be contained. How the red-hot U.S. women's national team striker is taking her game to the next level. All that and more starting now on Football Americas. Welcome to the show, Football Americas here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez, Sebi Salazar. Herc, how you doing? It's finals week. Can you feel it? You can cut that tension with a knife. I feel it. I feel it. Liga MX and the Champions League. An American will win the Champions League. Yes, no matter what happens, an American will win the UEFA Champions League. Wow, look at that. It almost feels like a bet made for our Book It segment. But, of course, with Zach Steffen and Christian Pulisic involved, we know you won't be wrong this time. couple of big guests coming up. We got Julie Foudy going to join us to talk about the U.S. women's national team. We have a new roster from the head coach, Vladko Ananovsky. We also have joining us from Mexico City, Sergio Dip, who's going to give us kind of that feel of what's going on on the ground as Cruz Azul tries to chase down what would be a truly historic title. But, Herc, we got to start with the game of games, the Champions League final. Manchester City and Chelsea, all things set for Saturday in Portugal. That is Zach Steffen's Manchester City against Christian Pulisic's Chelsea. Of course, for Manchester City, it would be their first Champions League title. Chelsea chasing their second ever Champions League title on the men's side. Of course, for us, Herc, this all comes down to will the Americans play? We'll leave Zach Steffen aside for just a second as it's very unlikely he'll see the field. What is your gut right now, 48 hours out, telling you about whether or not Christian Pulisic will start this very important match? This is so difficult because Thomas Tuchel is all over the place. But if there's one constant, is that if there's an important game, he tends to leave Christian Pulisic out. He tends not to start him, not to trust him. I don't understand why, but my gut tells me he'll come off the bench. My gut tells me he thinks there will be spaces he can exploit in the second half. Mm. I don't agree with it, but my gut tells me Thomas Tuchel sees him as a player who can make an impact in the second half of this game. When the game in the latter stages will have the spaces that a player like Christian Pulisic and his ability and his speed and how vertical and he could be uh, can exploit. So, yeah, I'll, this is what my gut is telling me. I want to be optimistic. I want to be optimistic. I really want to believe. But I've already done that once this year around the FA Cup final. Yep. And I got let down pretty good. And as I started thinking about that, you know, it's not just the FA Cup final. It's the second leg against Real Madrid. But I'll go back to that FA Cup final, Hurt, because you and I were doing the pregame show. And, like, everybody was really, really surprised. Craig Burley was surprised. Nada Manua, who was on site, was surprised. Frank LaBeouf was surprised that he wasn't in the starting lineup. You were surprised. But the numbers tell us, like you say, Thomas Tuchel doesn't start Christian Pulisic, and especially not in some of these bigger games. I think it's 13 starts now in 29 matches under Thomas Tuchel. That tells you all you need to know. I guess then the, the question shifts a little bit. From will he start, does our gut tell us whether he'll start or not, to kind of should he start? And for me, Herc, that's two different questions. It's should he start as in has Christian Pulisic earned the right to start for Chelsea, which I think, you know, most people on this side of the Atlantic would say, yes, he has done enough to earn a starting job. 
The other part of it, though, and this is the tricky part, is, is Christian Pulisic in the starting lineup actually make Chelsea better? And I don't know that he does. One, I don't want to question Thomas Tuchel because of his record. Everything's gone right since he joined Chelsea. But two, I think it's a testament to Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic has been that good off the bench. I think he actually does make Chelsea more dangerous when he's coming on as a sub. Christian Pulisic just is dangerous. This is what people don't understand. There seems to be this, the spaces are there, he will exploit type of feeling, but he's proven when the spaces aren't there, he's very good in tight spaces. He's very good at going one-on-one. He's very good at combining with one of his good buddies, uh, Mason Mount. Thomas Tuchel doesn't trust a lot of players. He seems to trust Mason Mount and nobody else in what is that front line when he has a front line. Timo Werner and his movement, he seems to trust as well. But then everybody else is, I will move here. Kai Havertz, Ziyech here, uh, Giroud every once in a while, Christian Pulisic. It just seems like there's a rotation going on. The last game versus Leicester, which was a must win for them for a Champions League position, Christian Pulisic was on the pitch. He was on hmm. the field. He was trusted. And what happened? They lost. They backed themselves into a Champions League position. So does this bode well for Christian Pulisic? Maybe not. But Christian Pulisic has proven in the biggest of moments in this competition, Champions League, he is there. The second leg versus Porto, man of the match. Uh, what was the second leg versus Atletico, game-winning assist. The first leg versus Raul, a goal. The second leg versus Raul, an assist. He seems to be that big player in those big moments. If I'm Thomas Tuchel, I take this opportunity and I give him a start. Hey, you know, I'm watching the Europa League final yesterday. Incredible penalty shootout. But one of the big talking points before that match was who's going to start in goal for Manchester United, David De Gea or Dean Henderson? And the talking point was that if Dean Henderson didn't get the start, he was gone. Right. He's leaving Manchester yep. United because the writing is on the wall. We're all going to be disappointed if Christian Pulisic doesn't start in the Champions League final. But if he doesn't, is there something more to it? Do we head into this offseason with a bigger question at hand? We, of course, we will always question this no matter what, but Christian Pulisic will question this. Christian Pulisic will pick up the phone, speak to his agent, and the very next phone call is Thomas Tuchel. The very next knock on the door is Thomas Tuchel. My man, what do I have to do? You gave me my first team debut, my professional debut at Dortmund. You've known me since I was a teenager. I am no longer that player. I have proven my worth. A 75-plus million-dollar transfer to one of the biggest clubs in the world. You see this number 10 jersey? I wear it. I am no longer that kid. What is going on? How can I earn your trust? That is the very next step. Look, so we talk about Christian Pulisic making history this weekend. He may become the first American to play in a Champions League final. Herc, but he's not going to be the first American to win the Champions League. Of course, that was Jovan Karofsky way back in the day. We know as well, Zach Steffen could play and very well could win the Champions League. But specifically on Pulisic, uh, if he does play in, in this Champions League final, if we pull it out to kind of like 30,000 feet and we think about what this means for American soccer as a whole, um, how big a deal is it to have this kid playing in this game? It's huge for American soccer. American soccer has been looking for that global superstar for so long. Landon Donovan was a very good player, a legit superstar in our market. Clint Dempsey, same. You can, and I'm just talking field players only with all due respect to the goalkeepers. And I'm talking about the men's side because our women have proven that they have global superstars over and over again. 
You've not had that for the U.S. men's national. You've not had that in this market. A player that you can say is recognizable in other countries, recognizable in the best league in the world. Christian Pulisic, a 75-plus million-dollar transfer to one of the best teams in the world, one of the teams with the most money. Uh, where's that number 10, the coveted number 10 that you give to one of your best players on the team, pulling the strings, a player that technically is gifted, that has the speed, the pace, the ability in front of goal to score, assist against some of the best players, best teams in the world. He's your guy. He's the global mm. superstar. This is as close as you're ever going to get. Now, you saw the list. Rafa Marquez. You saw Dwight York. You saw Keylor Navas. Uh, you saw what is uh, Alfonso Davies for his country. Those are global superstars in their markets and in their countries. Okay? So what is a world market and in their country? We need, or I shouldn't say we, U.S. men's national team need Christian Pulisic to carry that flag for legitimacy. So this is everything for the American market. You know, and it's not just any American. I think that's kind of the important point to make here. It's Christian Pulisic. This is the chosen one, a special one, a kid we've been following for a long time. And we've been following since he got to Dortmund. If you're one of those, and I kind of hold my hand up here a little bit, like nerdy U-17 national team fans, you've been hearing about Christian Pulisic a long time. To have him do it and to do it at a club like Chelsea, I mean, Herc, the, the impact there is massive. I, I do want to say something here about Stefan and, and Pulisic from a development standpoint, too. You know, we focus a lot on dual nationals, but this isn't a Serginho Dest developing the Netherlands playing in a Champions League final. It's not a Eunice Musa um, developed in other places, specifically England in their setup and then in Spain, you know, playing in the Champions League final. These are two guys who actually you know, played for clubs not all that far apart from each other. PA Classics for Pulisic, FC Delco for Zach Steffen. These are truly homegrown products. This says something to me, Herc, about grassroots development in the U.S., that, that it's come a long way in the last few years. Absolutely. And if I could focus on Zach Steffen for a bit, because I think we've given, uh, you know, enough clout to Christian Pulisic, and he's earned it, uh, obviously. Uh, but Zach Steffen, not only is he a goalkeeper for a team that's going to be in the Champions League final, Man City, one of the teams that can go out and get any goalkeeper they want, any player they want uh, in this universe, uh, but he's a goalkeeper for Pep Guardiola. That means you're mm -hmm. a modern-day goalkeeper. Tactically, technically, with your feet, how you see the game, it is different. This is huge for the U.S. men's national, for the American program on the men's side on so many fronts. All right. Speaking of huge, let's make folks some huge money with some Champions League book it. We've uh, gone through the prop bets. You know we love to focus in on those Christian Pulisic odds to score. But we've been riding that train, Herc, let's be honest, for a while. So we wanted to try something different. But just for those keeping score at home, he is plus 420 to score in the Champions League final. I'm going a little different route, Herc, here. Right. I'm going Christian Pulisic to notch an assist. That's a little bit better payout than to score. He's getting a plus 600. I will tell you this. Both of those numbers tell me that the bookies agree with us that he's probably not the likeliest to start. I love that, though. I love that. Even if he's coming off the bench, a Christian Pulisic assist if they need a goal, if they want to win the game, Christian Pulisic, he's going to be a big part of that down the stretch. His pace, his ability on the ball, 1v1, he is so difficult to handle. It is not a hot take when I tell you he's one of the best 1v1 players in the world. I love this at plus 600. Lots of value in that bet. All right, what about the game itself? Obviously, Manchester City installed as huge favorites. Who are you going with? I'm going with Chelsea at plus 340. Not yeah, only is it an enticing bet for a better plus 340, uh, but you look at this old cliche, the boxing cliche, styles make fights. 
This is not a good fight, not a good matchup for Man City. This is a team, Chelsea, who make it very difficult on the defensive front, and they love to counter. Manchester City, Man City will leave those spaces. They will afford those spaces to the opposition. And they've already played twice with Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel won both of them. One of them being a knockout round, which was the FA Cup semifinal. I love this bet. I love this matchup. Wow, you're saying it right here first on Football America's Christian Pulisic to be a Champions League winner. Come Monday, we will see if Herc was right or not. Pasión, determinación y constancia es lo que te hace campeón y mantiene tu actitud de ride or die, baby. eBay Motors tiene lo que necesitas para darle mantenimiento a tu vehículo y para llegar hasta el rendimiento máximo. Desde sobrealimentadores, sistemas de sonido, tubos de escape, luces LED y más. Si buscas velocidad, potencia o estilo, lo encontrarás todo en eBay Motors. Con más de 122 millones de piezas, siempre encontrarás justo lo que buscas. Y con Guaranteed Fit de eBay, tienes la garantía de que tu pieza quede perfectamente a la primera o se te devuelve tu dinero. Porque con eBay Motors, quemas llantas y no tu dinero. Con las piezas que buscas, a los precios que quieres, tu auto se convertirá en el MVP que te dará el triunfo. eBay Motors. eBayMotors.com. Solo para artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones. Herb, we're joined now by our resident World Cup and Olympic champion, Julie Fowdy, here on Football Américas. Julie, we got a very important U.S. Women's National Team roster to pick apart, but we just saw the NWSL highlights from Wednesday night. Alex Morgan, a third straight game with the goal. How well is she playing right now? Well, Alex Morgan's always playing well, Sabi, as we know, but uh, we also know that she's coming off in the last year, pregnancy, injury, COVID, all in the last year. And so that final piece of the puzzle is coming back. And the U.S. team has to be ecstatic about that because she's playing well, she's scoring, she's fitter, she's more confident, all the elements and all the little pieces that It takes a while to come back from after all the things she's gone through in the last year. Julie, I feel like Alex Morgan back in the day was just very much strength and pace, just so fast. Uh, how has her game evolved yeah. now? Yeah, great, great, great question. I think she's obviously more sophisticated in front of goal. Her runs are more sophisticated. The goal she scored uh, most recently uh, was just a nice little slip run where she peeled away, you know, took a defender with her. Uh, and so her scoring is more sophisticated in the types of, of uh, ways she's scoring. Uh, she's playing both sides of the ball. So you're seeing all those elements in her game now coming forward. So, yes, definitely more sophisticated. All right, Julie, let's talk Olympic roster. As we know, you can only take 18, 23 players on Vladko Andonovsky's latest list. I think actually, though, the two most interesting names are two that are left off, Tobin Heath and Julie Ertz, both for mm. injury concerns. We still have like two months until the Olympics really get going, but uh, just how worried should U.S. fans be about these two players and their availability? Yeah, I think Tobin Heath, she hasn't played since January. So starting there, 
I think first it was an ankle. She hasn't played. Then it has moved up to her knee. Reports I'm hearing, it's not good. And so I think she's actually a long shot for Tokyo, unfortunately. And especially if you haven't played since January and you're taking 18 players, as you said, Sebi, how do you bring a player that hasn't played, that's fighting through this knee injury, and just isn't informed? So I think Tobin Heath is a long shot, sadly, because that's a huge, huge loss, as we know, for the United States. Um, but good news, I think Julie Ertz is showing signs that she should be back. And as you said, they have two months. She's not in this training camp roster, but she is running on her knee. And so I think you you really want a Julie Ertz back because there is no backup at the moment to her number six position. And she's just so good on both sides of the ball. She starts everything with her defensive presence. Uh, and so they are hoping, Andy Sullivan, of course, will be in for this uh, roster, but they're hoping Julie Ertz can come back from this knee injury in time for Tokyo. But I think Tobin Hurts sadly, is it's going to be a long road for her to get back. I love that you brought up uh, Julie Ertz and, and her importance. I want you to talk a little bit about that importance because she doesn't really get the recognition of some of her teammates that maybe play on the offensive side. And yes, I know it's the position, but you can probably relate to this. Speak to the importance of the position with Julie Ertz and her leadership. Yeah. Oh, she's a beast, Herc. She just, she never stops. She wins every tackle. She brings a bite and an energy that when she started playing in 2015, and she's got more minutes than any other player on the field this year alone, but when she started and won that spot in midfield, she comes from a center back position, but she played midfield, of course, earlier in her career. When she started in there, immediately in that holding six, she started winning tackles. There was an energy to the team, and she does all of that grudge work that no one gets credit for, but it's the thing that counter. It's the winning ball when they're trying to come out. I mean, she just does so much, so many good things. So losing her would be another huge loss, but I do think she's going to be back in time for Tokyo. Uh, Julie, ESPN FC just came out with this list of the best young women's footballers in the world. Katerina Macario, number one. It's crazy. Like nine, ten months ago, we were talking about her as this prospect She's going to end up making this yeah. Olympic team, isn't she? <laughs> well, I don't know about that yet, Sebastian, but she is such a smart player as well. And on top of being a smart player, she's playing Leon right now. As we know, she's versatile. The problem with Katerina Macario is we haven't seen much of her because she had to leave to go back to Lyon early in the She Believes Cup in March. And then we didn't see her in the European friendlies because most of Lyon came down with COVID. And so they couldn't bring her in, even though she didn't test positive because of all the tracing issues. So they haven't seen her at the national team level that, that much yet. She just got cleared by FIFA in January to play for the United States. Fingers crossed she has a good showing in June because I think she's a player with her versatility and her brain on the ball, even at such a young age, she could be huge for the United States. She could make a big impact right away. Yeah, I could see U.S. fans salivating over a uh, Macario-Morgan partnership Ooh. up top. We'll leave that uh, for the next episode of Football Americas. Next time we have Julie Fowdy on. Julie, as always, thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, guys. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Herc, the Liga Mekis final looms, starts the two-legged affair tonight, Thursday in Torreon, second leg Sunday in Mexico City, Santos against Cruz Azul. If anybody has watched this show, Herc, for any little bit of time, they know that Cruz Azul has not won a league title since 1997. You say it like that, and it's like, oh, that's just 24 years. But it hasn't quite just been any old 24 years, has it? There's been a history that has provided new words in the Mexican dialect. Uh, Cruz Azuliar, the noun. Cruz Azuliada, uh, the verb and the noun. So there we have it right there. But I don't think we can explain it without truly seeing it. So let's run through a list of the proper Cruz Azuliadas. You start us off to show people how far back this goes. We got to go all the way, what, back to the last millennium, right? 1999? Yeah. 1999 versus Pachuca. Yeah, the first leg versus Pachuca, a great first leg, a 2-2 affair. Uh, at what is Pachuca in the old Estadio Hidalgo. This was an amazing game. But then in the second leg, you've got everything to win. Minute 93, Cruz Azuliada! It's minute 93. All you have to do is hold on and you win. Hold on and you're the champion. Here's where we start. Mm. All right, Herc, that's a good one. But this next one is so infamous, you uh -oh. still remember the date. 5-26-13, 2013. Final, Cruz Azul against their Mexico City rival, Club America. Cruz Azul wins the first leg 1-0. They're up late in the second leg 1-0. Back-to-back goals. Moises Munoz, the goalie, to send it into penalties. And Miguel Herrera gift, infamous. Yeah, how about this one? All you got to do is uh, hold on, and you're going into the playoffs. And it's another goalkeeper scoring, but it's El Conejo Perez, legendary Cruz Azul goalkeeper. This is 2017. He was there in 1997 when they won their last title. He scores with his shoulder. What's going on here? You can't lose this way. Minute 93 again. All right, this next one stings extra for a couple reasons, I think. One, Ooh. it's the most recent, right? It's not even last year's last season. The other, it's another Mexico City rival. This one against Pumas. Cruz Azul win the first leg 4-0, lose the second leg 4-0, and are eliminated, Herc, based off of seed. That's right. A measly two spots in the table cost them the latest in their sad history. Right, few people know that history as well as our next guest here on Football America, Sergio Dip, a man of many hats for ESPN, ESPN Deportes. In a few minutes, he's going to be a sports center anchor, so he's actually joining us live from our studios in Mexico City. Sergio, great to have you with us. Thank you for the time. Guys, thanks for having me. Sebastian, Hercules, you know it's a pleasure, guys. Let's go. I don't know if it's going to be a pleasure, right, because we're going to get to the heartstrings now. Let's, uh, let's put the sportscaster job aside for a sec. Let's go back to your childhood, right? As a kid, you grew up sure. as a Cruz Azul fan. You're of the age that you really only would have known this Cruz Azul era of failure. What has that experience been like as a fan? Look, I was nine years old. That day, December 7, 1997. But before that, and this, this explains what it means to be a Cruz Azul fan. That day that they became champions against Leon, they broke a 17-year drought. And now it's a 23-year drought. So take that, put it in your minds, and feel a Cruz Azul fan just for tonight.
just for the first leg today in Torreon. We'll see Sunday what happens. You know, I'm glad he brought up that 17-year drought because many people forget exactly, you know, the heartfelt exactly. or the heartache that was that. I've known you for quite a while, and you were the biggest Cruz Azul fan, but there came a moment where you're just like, you know what, I'm taking a step back, I'm done. What was the final straw for you? Uh, 2013, bro. Uh, the final, the second leg against America. Cruz Azul is up 2-0 uh, with um, a... Uh, a red card shown to, to an America player. So everything is set. The table is ready to break the drought, finally, okay? And then that happens. You just saw Moises Munoz and his header. Basically, this is very important, and people forget about that too, guys. The ball was going outside of the pitch. It was about to leave the field. Yeah. Jose de Jesus Corona was just watching. And then Alejandro Castro puts his leg in the way and gets that uh, goal for America. It's not only Moises Munoz, it was also uh, Alejandro Castro. And why now? Uh, because I lived seven years in Monterrey, I enjoyed Tigres, I enjoyed Rayados, and I have a very special feeling for them both, too. Okay, gentlemen, let's uh, face it. Not everybody that watches this show is a huge Liga Mekis devotee. So when we talk about Cruz Azul, I often wonder if people really kind of get the suffering that the fan base has been through. Uh, Sergio, you're the perfect person to have on for this. You cover the NFL. You know American sports mm -hmm. well. But, Herc, um, I'll start with you. Is there, like, an obvious American sports comparison for Cruz Azul? Oh, yeah. It's the Dallas Cowboys. It's that huge <laughs> fan base, that overly popular team in the NFL with that, you know, family-run organization, Jerry Jones and his family, that make a ton of administrative errors. Uh, you don't really know what's going on there. Are they helping or are they hurting the team? Uh, these crazy, bigger-than-life figures throughout its history, a suffering fan base that can't get it done, a very successful decade, which was the 90s, uh, ironically, uh, for, for the Cowboys and what was the 70s going to 80s for, for Cruz Azul. Yeah, so there's a lot of comparisons you could draw there. That's the one I'd say is most glaring for me. Sergio? I love the comparison. I love it because the Dallas Cowboys obviously are a historical team in the NFL as Cruz Azul in Liga MX. Um, that said, I like Juan Reynoso way more than I like Mike McCarthy, okay? So <laughs> take that into consideration. Go Cruz Azul. Yo, Cowboys fans, you have to wait. Interesting. I think there's a couple ones. We're seeing the Knicks right now on the TV. That's a good basketball one, right? Major market, huge national fan base. A couple decades now of futility, kind of, oh, no, the no, producer put my Buffalo Bills in. No, that's a... Buffalo's that's never a, won. Why <laughs> would the producer do that? They've never won. That was just a jab. That was a shot at Sebi, and I apologize uh, to Sebi about uh, that. That's just wrong. <laughs> can I throw in a couple other ones? A couple sure. baseball ones that are obviously Cubs, Red Sox, before they won it. There was a lot of curse. Sure. There's always a lot of, like, uh, mysticism in Mexican soccer, a lot of superstition. So I think... Uh, there's some good shouts there. All right, Sergio, as we mentioned, you've got a Sports Center segment. You, you're about to host the show. So you can give us kind of the national mm -hmm. media perspective here from down in Mexico City. Just how big a story is this, and how important would it be to see Cruz Azul finally win if they do indeed do it over the next couple games? Mm, that's a great question because, you know, guys, it's going to be very interesting if, if Cruz Azul can 
in fact, become uh, Liga MX champion next Sunday. What are we going to talk about Monday morning? <laughs> Think about that. What, what, what is going to be like the main storyline? What are we going to say? Um, I'm a little worried about that because eventually they'll become the champions. But who are the memes going to be about? Who are we going to joke about? It's, it's interesting. Let's see. You kind of answered that right there, but paint us a picture of what the reaction will be if Cruz Azul not only loses, but it's another Cruz Azuliada, Sergio. Like, what will the media be like? What will Bro. fans be like? Uh, fans uh, should absolutely be destroyed. I'd say that, like emotionally destroyed. But come on, they, they've been here before. It's not the first time that Cruz Azul has a great chance. They've been the best offense, the best defense. Obviously, they've got the best goal differential. Uh, they were the best team uh, along the, all the tournament. They've played so-so during the Liguilla. But fans are expecting this to finally be the one. They always say, ahora sí, Esta es la buena, no? Finally, this is going to be the one. I'm not sure. Be careful with Santos. So hold on. Hold on, Cruz Azul fans. Just wait. 180 or 210 or how long it takes, minutes, <laughs> penalties, whatever. Just hang on. Hang on. Uh, wait, okay? Be patient. It's been, uh, it's been 23 years. I think, I think you got a little more patience uh, left in you. All right, there he is, Sergio. Exactly. Thank you so much for the time. We'll have you back soon here on Football Americas. Sure, guys, take care. It's been a pleasure. And go Cruz Azul, Hercules. Go Cruz Azul. <laughs> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. All right, so the club football season almost done. Soon we will be totally focused on the international game. Sunday, 2.15 p.m. Eastern time on the main channel, ESPN. It's the United States men's national team against Switzerland. Uh, should be a pretty good match, pretty decent competition for the U.S. men's national team. Not something... They always get. All right, Herc, um, it's a juego molero, you could say, but uh, what are you looking for most out of this match? Juego molero for sure. Uh, one of those uh, friendlies that's just there to be there to make a little money. But if I'm looking for something out of this match, it's the defensive partnership for John Brooks. Listen, Aaron Long, uh, torn Achilles, he's out for on the shelf for a long time. He was my starter there next to John Brooks. Chris Richards isn't here. Uh, he's injured as well. So Mark McKenzie, Matt Miazga, come on up. Positional mm. battle. I want to see if Mark McKenzie can stake claim to this or if it's Matt Miazga, uh, you know, with a little bit more of a European pedigree who uh, holds on to that. Positional battles, huh? And you, a number nine, went with the center backs. Well, let me then... Go with the number nines. I, I really want to see Jordan Sibichu. At some point with this national team, I'm really interested in this player. Obviously, they're in Switzerland, so he should be pretty well familiar with yeah. his surroundings. Coming off, what, 15 goals this year for young boys across and all trophy. competitions. And the league trophy. I think he had 12 goals, a dozen in the league. He's a big dude, right? He's 6'3", 6'4". He's from Washington, D.C. You there know, we go. There, there. there it is. There it is. But wait, <laughs> I think we were all surprised when Daryl D.K. wasn't called in on the last list. Yeah. The two number nines that were there were Sibachu and Sargent. So if Sibachu's ahead of Daryl D.K., then 
listen, Daryl DK is a pretty good player. I want to see Jordan see what you play. I think that could be uh, a very interesting piece to the puzzle. Plus, we talk about it a lot, Herc. He was on loan with young boys. So he's probably maybe thinking about a move. Any good performances here in an international, even if it is a friendly, could certainly help that. Speaking of international friendlies, and speaking of the Cowboys, in Cowboys Stadium coming up on Saturday, it's Mexico against Iceland. Now this is the, the real definition of a juego molero, huh? Uh, so some news for Tata. He's gonna have Tecatito, that's the good news. I don't think he's gonna have Jonathan Santos or Alan Pulido for this game, because they're gonna be with their respective uh, MLS team so and nevertheless an opportunity for Mexico to face off against some pretty decent European competition hurt I mean decent let's see what they feel do you know how these games go right. Mexican Federation wants to get paid some wants to get paid uh, Juego Molero. so this is an interesting topic that's come around the Mexican national team for a long time now you've been following the team you know about the homophobic chant that you sometimes hear around goal kicks the Mexican Federation has been punished for it uh, in the past, and obviously with some big games, including World Cup qualifiers and some new FIFA rules on the books, uh, Mexico is starting to get pretty worried about it. This is from Yon De Luisa. He's the president of the Mexican Federation. He said the FIFA threat on not only stopping the match, losing points, or kicking the national team out of the competition, it's real. We are not playing with that. I think that when we understood that, everybody, players, coaches, clubs, people from the media, then we change our approach. Herc, this is not exactly a new problem for the Mexican national team and the Mexican federation. Uh, how big a problem do you think it could become as these games get more and more important and we get fans back in stadiums? I hope it's a huge problem. So something gets done because we always mm. hear FIFA say, this is a problem. We need to address this. But we never address it. We give out one, two, you know, uh, stadium calls, PSA announcements that something may happen. Nothing ever happens. It's an embarrassing chant. It's a homophobic chant. You could say whatever you want about it being cultural. It doesn't mean that to me, but it means it to somebody. And what you're doing is openly saying, I'm okay with offending somebody with a homophobic chant. It's embarrassing. There should be no room for this in the sport anywhere. And if it means stopping the game, if it means increasing the fines, if it means suspensions, if it means just kicking somebody out so you get the picture of how serious it is, do it, FIFA. Do it, CONCACAF. Do it, Mexico. It's all about how serious the consequences are, right? That's basically what you're talking about. Uh, what were we in Russia for the World Cup when this was... Uh, yeah. was a really, really hot-button issue. And I remember the fine from FIFA to the Mexican Federation was $10,000. I mean, that's a laughable amount of money to the Mexican Football Federation. I'll remind folks, Mexico was sanctioned 12 times for this, Herc, in the last World Cup qualifying campaign. So this is not a one-off. It's not only in the States. Uh, we've seen it. You and I saw it personally in Russia. Uh, we've seen it here in the United States as well. It happens in Mexico. The new rules, effectively, it's a three strikes and, and, and you're out policy. If the chanting doesn't stop after the second warning, the referee can abandon the match. And, Herc, if we're in a World Cup qualifier, you're talking about the potential of forfeiting points. You know, and let's not, let's not kid ourselves. Mexico has been in situations where one or two points makes the difference between qualifying or not. And I'll say this, Herc, Mexico was banned, banned from the 1990 World Cup for using overage players yeah. in an age-restricted tournament. I'm not saying Mexico should be banned from the World Cup, but I'm saying that getting homophobia out of soccer is way more important than cheating in an underage tournament. And so if FIFA in 1990 was willing to waive the nuclear option at Mexico and keep them out of a World Cup for cheating in an underage tournament, then 
When else is appropriate for the nuclear option but now? You have to threaten World Cup qualifying points. You have to threaten the World Cup because That's otherwise, it. I don't think it'll stop. FIFA's a joke. FIFA is a joke. They're a laughingstock when it comes to racism, when it comes to sexism, when it comes to homophobia. They've not proven they've been up to the standard of what this game should be held to. So last week or so, some very interesting news also pricking up, this time out of South America. Of course, we know Colombia in a state of grave civil unrest. In Argentina, the COVID crisis is worsening. So concerns about whether they'd be able to hold the tournament in the South American continent at all. An obvious option then comes up, Herc. It's the United States as kind of a fallback. Good idea, bad idea, what do you think? <laughs> it's the only idea, Seb. You know that in Argentina right now, I know you're seeing Argentine clubs like Boca and River playing Libertadores right now, but the Argentine, Argentine league is paused. There is no play right now with the amount of COVID cases that's going on in that country. It's their only play. And as we've seen here in 2016, it's a very lucrative play for, play, mm. play, excuse mm. me, play for Comedy Bowl and for the U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, I want to go back in my memory. I think it was like $140 million surplus that U.S. Soccer gained off of that. Right now you have the infrastructure where if tomorrow you wanted to hold an event that coincides in alliance because it would with what is Gold Cup here in the States, you could do it. You could mm. potentially do that. It's one of the few countries that has the infrastructure to do that. So it's about one of the only plays they have. Well, maybe that the fact that it lines up with the Gold Cup is not so enticing to the people here uh, in the United States that can make those decisions, right? Somebody may step in and say, hey, we need the United States to be solely focused on the Gold Cup. I would say this. Well, can you imagine it? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, the reality right now is, Herc, even if they hold it in Argentina, it's probably without fans. In the United States all over, we're getting to at least partial capacity and in some stadiums full capacity. Could you imagine Messi, Neymar here this summer? It's not a good idea. It's a great idea. Are you kidding me? Well, if this is your only idea and all of a sudden you get packed stadiums in Texas and in Florida and by the time this happens, uh, we're probably going to be up to, what, more than 50% in most stadiums in capacity. It's just a no-brainer. So this is what I mean with it's your only one. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas, Herc. We have run out of time. One last thing, real quick. We didn't get a pick out of you for Santos or Cruz Azul. Who are you taking? You see this watch? Championship watch, 2012 Clausura. Muchas gracias, Santos. Go get another one. Get another one. I got there you, it is. There got you. it is. The heart wants what the heart wants. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.